Hey church family, I hope you're doing really well this morning. My family and I are out of town doing some fall break stuff together. And so today you're getting a special treat. You're gonna hear from my good friend, Jim Harbin. Uh, our relationship with Jim is really twofold. One is that Jim leads the Raleigh Community Church, which Highland helped to plant many years ago. And then two, Jim leads an important initiative with Agape Child and Family Services, which is one of our partner ministries. And so today you are gonna be blessed as Jim opens the word of God for us. I'm sure that Jim has brought along Mrs. Beverly, his lovely wife. So be on the lookout for her today too and welcome them both in the name of Jesus. All right, let's give our attention to Jim as he opens God's word for us. Well, this morning I want to, I think it's still morning, I want to talk to you about earnest prayer. It's something that's been on my heart and uh, it comes from Acts chapter 12. And if you have your, have your Bibles, if you turn there. Have you ever prayed for something and your prayers weren't answered the way that you wanted them to be answered? Have you ever prayed uh, for a prayer to be answered and your prayer wasn't answered, but someone else prayed the exact same prayer or similar prayer and their prayers was answered. Have you ever asked the question, why? Were they better Christians than you? Did they pray harder than you? Did you use the wrong words? Did you forget to kneel? Does God love them more than he loves you? Because maybe there's something in your past life that you're not proud of. And you think maybe that God has a special place in his heart for them and not, not you. I'll never forget that a few years ago, my brother, uh, his name is Anthony. He's my middle brother. I have one other brother, younger, Randy and Anthony. Anthony, we got the call, had a stroke, and he was in a coma in a hospital in Chicago. My mother and brothers lived in Gary, Indiana. And so we got the call, and um, it wasn't looking good, but I believe that God wanted me to go to Gary, Indiana, where he was, and to pray for him. And when I prayed for him, he was gonna be raised up. And so Beverly and I packed up our bags, got in the car, drove to Gary, Indiana, about a 10 hour drive. We got to the place where my brother was and walked into the room. I put everybody out and it was just me and my brother. And so I was gonna pray for my brother. And I was expecting, I was expecting, I was expecting a miracle to happen that my brother was going to be raised up. Well, the good news is after I prayed, he did recognize me and acknowledge that I was in the room and he knew that I was there. And so I'm still expecting God didn't raise him up right then. And I'm expecting that on the way home, I'm going to get the call or a few weeks later, I'm going to get the call that he's been raised up. And a few weeks later, I did get the call. But the call was not that he was raised up. It was that my brother had died. Ernest, I prayed earnestly. I prayed fervently, but my brother was not raised up. 
Well, I believe that Acts chapter 12 helps us to understand earnest prayer in a different light. And hopefully you'll see that. In Acts chapter 12, Luke writes uh, this book and there's two characters in this story that I want us to pay attention to. One is James, the apostle James, and the other one is the apostle Peter. Well, the outcomes are different for James and the outcome is different for Peter. James is killed with the sword. Peter is released from prison. The church was praying for both of them and perhaps the same people praying for James, the same people praying for Peter. Rhoda is mentioned in the story. Maybe even Rhoda was praying for them, but James died. Peter lived. I don't know about you, but sometimes we ask ourselves a question. Why? And reading through this chapter in Acts chapter 12 helps me to put some things in perspective. So when you start out looking in Acts chapter 12, the Bible starts out in verse one. It says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. Taking Peter and James for Herod Agrippa seemed like a political move on his part. And then it says in verse four, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring them out, bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Peter was in a maximum security prison. And from a human standpoint, you're in prison, you're in a prison with these four squads of soldiers, that's 16 soldiers total. There is no way that you're going to get out of prison. And in fact, it goes on to say that Peter was chained between two soldiers. He had his right arm chained to the left arm of one soldier on one side, and then on the other side, he was chained with the soldier. So he's chained between two soldiers, so there's no way he's going to get out. Not only that, but then they got soldiers outside guarding the door so that you can't get out the door. It is impossible for Peter to get out. But then verse 5 reminds us that, excuse me, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So Peter is in prison, but the church is praying for Peter. And, it, and, and they use this adverb to describe that he is, they are earnestly, the church is earnestly praying for Peter. So they're, they're praying intensely. They're praying continuously. They're praying with some urgency. They're praying strenuously. They're praying fervently for Peter to get out of prison. Peter was being kept, but prayers were being sent. I don't know if y'all catch that. At, at Raleigh Community, they talk back to me every once in a while. So yeah, y'all, y'all can Peter was kept in prison, but the prayers were being sent. And so the church, Highland, the church was earnestly praying for Peter. When the church is really earnestly praying, 
Something is bound to happen. If we believe in the power of God, when the church prays, we expect some stuff to happen. We expect the church to move. We expect the, 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 the church to be shaken. We expect God to do something. At Raleigh Community, we say, we expect God to show up and show out. Are oh, y'all not with me yet? I wish y'all would come on in here with me right now. But we expect and we should expect the power of God to be manifested when we pray because we're asking God to do something. So the church is praying for, for Peter and James is already dead. Peter is in prison and from this human perspective, this is a terribly grim situation and and, and the way Luke describes this, the way that the soldiers are there and this maximum security prison, there's no way to, to, for them, for Peter to get out. But what Luke wants to do, he wants to help us to understand that that is not too big for God. That God is able to do something even in situations that are desperate, when it looks like there is absolute, that this is impossible Luke writes this so that we can see the almighty power of our holy God. And so he's going to display his power. And so then suddenly this angel appears. And you know how God does things. He, y'all didn't get that. There's this light that shines in the, in the jail cell where, where Peter is. And Peter is sleeping. And so he strikes Peter on the side and tells him to get up quickly. And when he strikes him on the side, the chains fall off. The, the Greek word there describes that the chains just, the chains are on Peter and they just drop off. Don't know what happened to the two soldiers on the side, but the chains just drop off. Peter didn't touch the chains. The angels didn't touch the chain. God touched the chains. That'll preach y'all. Come on now. God touched the chains. And so the chains fell off. Now, as I thought about this lesson and thought about what's going on with Peter, Peter is probably going to be executed. A lot of scholars believe that the next day after Passover, after the solemn ceremony of the Passover, that Peter would be executed and killed. And so Peter is waiting to go to trial to be executed, but he's asleep. Did, did y'all get that? He is asleep. How do you sleep when you know in the morning you could lose your life? So this is not the same Peter that denied Jesus. Uh, this is not the same Peter that was on the Sea of Galilee when he was walking across, when he was walking on the water and he saw the wind, saw the waves, and he began to sink. This is not the same Peter that was in the boat with Jesus and the waves were entering into the boat and they thought they were going to drown. They said, Peter, and they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to perish? This is not the same Peter. It is the same Peter, but this is a spiritually mature Peter because now he knows how to trust God. In all kinds of circumstances, Peter now knows how to trust God. So the angel tells Peter, follow me. 
So Peter is still kind of groggy. We don't know exactly what's going on with Peter. And, and, and if the angel, because of what he saw, that caused him to be in the daze, but he is still kind of groggy and he is following the angel. He doesn't know if it's a, a, a vision or not, but he's going out of the prison. And then all of a sudden, the gates open. The Greek word that is used there is automate which we get our word automatic. So you know what that means. It's like when you go to the, to the airport and, the, and the, doors of the, the, uh, the doors of the airport just open up. The doors at Walmart, they just open up. The prison doors just open up. There's no key. There's no, they, they don't care about the lock. They just open up. God opens up the door. When God opens up a door, you can't close it. And so there, Peter is able to walk out with the angel, they walk on down the street and then the angel disappears. He, he was in his night clothes and the angel tells him to put your, put your clothes on. So yeah, I guess Peter has pajamas on. And so he gets up, goes out and he's walking and the angel disappears. And so at Mary's house, I believe Mary, the uh, mother of John Mark, the church is gathered there, and there are many people. They don't say how many people are gathered there with, uh, how many people in the church are gathered there, but the church is praying in verse 12. They're still praying for Peter. So Peter goes to the church, to the house where they are, and he's knocking on the door. The church is praying. I, I want you to get the story. The church is praying Peter is knocking on the door. What church, what are you praying for? You're praying for Peter. Well, what do you want? Well, in, in the best circumstances, we want Peter to be released from prison and to come be with us, right? Peter is knocking at the door. Rhoda comes to the door. Rhoda, her name means Rose. And she hears his voice and she recognizes Peter. And then she goes and tells them that Peter is at the door knocking and they tell her, you must be insane. <laughs> Wait a minute, what are you praying for? We are praying for Peter to be released from prison. Your prayer has been answered and the answered prayer is right. Come on now. He is right there at the door. The answered prayer is right there at the door. She keeps talking to them and, and insisting that, yes, this is really Peter. And then they say, no, it must be his angel. What they mean by that is perhaps his guardian angel. They kind of believed in that superstition that, you know, there was a guardian angel for every, every person. I skipped a part. Peter sees that what has happened and he makes this statement. He says, now I know when he comes to his senses, remember he was kind of dazed. And when he comes to his senses, he said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Peter said, the Lord sent his angel and rescued me. He rescued me. I, I, can, can you come with me right now? He rescued me. The Greek construction of that of that phrase is he delivered me or he saved me. He delivered me or saved me in the nick of time. 
Just at the right moment, he saved me. I was about to die and he saved me. We ought to be able to say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. God delivered me. God saved me. God rescued me. So he, he, he's made that statement and now he's at the door and they won't let him in. Whenever dangers increase around us and around our friends, we ought to fervently pray. When we don't know how we're going to be delivered, when we don't know the outcome, we ought to fervently pray. When there's no way for a healing to take place. We can't do it. When there's no way for the deliverance to take place, we should fervently pray. And we need to remember who's on the throne. We need to remember that God is on the throne and that he is more than able to do what we could ask or even imagine. Our God is a powerful, almighty God. And he loves us. This section in Acts is, it's exciting, but it's also humorous. And it's exciting because of what God did. So of course, God opens up the, the doors of the prison, the chains fall off. Uh, Peter is uh, alive and well, and he's at the, at the church knocking, is humorous because they're praying for Peter to be released. Peter's, Peter is at the door, and they won't open the door. If ever there was a time when the church needs to stop praying and do something, this was it. The church needed to stop praying and open the door. Oh, y'all ain't with me, are you? They needed to open the door and let Peter in because the very thing that they were praying for, the very person that they were praying for was right there. Their prayers had been answered. So finally they opened the door and they let Peter, Peter in. And so Peter comes in and there's this huge commotion. We don't know how many people are there, but they're excited and they're all talking at once. And so Peter kind of motions to him to, to be quiet because he wants to tell them what God has done. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, Highland, we need to tell folk what God has done. Don't call it luck. Don't call it circumstances. But say, this is what God has done. And sometimes when we do that, people will, will not believe us. Sometimes, even ourselves, we'll be amazed and overwhelmed. And sometimes we may even try to think of a scientific explanation to explain the supernatural away. And even worse... We use superstition like they did in this story. That's a ghost. Give God credit. Oh, y'all ain't with me right now. 
Give a testimony to God what God has done, what God is able to do. I love hospitals that they're able to do all kinds of medical treatments and there's all kinds of things that they can do. But at the end of the day, I believe that it is the power of Almighty God when somebody is sick for God to raise them up. God has the power to do it. When someone is spiritually sick and locked up in prison, maybe they're addicted to drugs. And it seems like it's impossible for them to get out of it. Pray to God that the chains will fall off, that the doors of the prison will be open. There may be people that are are locked up in sin, spiritually in prison, in a bad relationship. God has the power to deliver. And his power is not the power that we think his power is. His power is beyond our wildest imagination. God is so powerful and so able to do more than we can ask or imagine. As I wrap this up, God is going to answer our prayers in his own way and in his own time. Let me give an instant replay on that. God is going to answer our prayers in his own way and in his own time. And sometimes we just have to wait on God to give an answer. Max Lucado has written wrote a novel called The Christmas Candle. And he he tells the story of this town called Gladberry. And in Gladberry, there's a legend that every 25 years, an angel would come down and this angel would touch one candle. And this candle, when given to someone, whatever they prayed for, would be answered. There was a candle maker and his wife in the town, and so the angel in the book and in the movie came down, touched the candle, and so they had this one candle to give to someone. Everybody in Gladberry believed in this candle except for their new pastor, Pastor David Richmond. He didn't believe in the Christmas candle. He, he wanted people to believe in, in God, of course, that's right, but not to believe at all in the Christmas candle. But Pastor David was struggling with his faith. His wife and his daughter had gotten sick and he had earnestly prayed that they would be healed, that his daughter would be healed, that his wife would be healed. They had consumption and he earnestly prayed for them and they died and so he struggled with his faith. So he did not believe in miracles He did not believe in the Christmas candle. So a lot happened in the story beyond that, but then it ended up that the candle maker and his wife, the Haddingtons, gave this one candle to Pastor David, of all people, who didn't believe in the Christmas candle, so he stuck it in his pocket. There was a young lady named Ruth that was pregnant, and they were going to bring her to Gladberry, and she was riding on a carriage And it was a snowstorm, and so a tree fell, and then the carriage wrecked. And 
So they came into church and told Pastor David. And so he left with some other people. They were going to go find Ruth. And in a snowstorm, it was hard to find her. They were going down the road and they got lost and, and couldn't find her. And so then he remembered that in his pocket, his jacket pocket, he had this Christmas candle. So he pulled out the candle. He had three matches. Wind was blowing. Snow was blowing. He struck the first match, tried to light the candle. The wind blew it out. Second match, he lit it, tried to light the candle, trying to, with his friend, trying to hold it in his jacket to light the candle. The wind blew it out. One candle of the three, one candle left. So then Pastor David decided to pray and ask God to help him. So he took that last match, put it in his jacket, lit the candle, and then he prayed that they would be able to find Ruth. So in the, in the story, it was like a bubble over them, a bright light, and they were able to find Ruth and then get Ruth to safety. The angel, when the angel came down, there were two instructions that the angel gave to everybody with the candle. Number one, light the candle. And number two, to pray. So if you got a candle out there, I encourage you right now, if you haven't already, light the candle and hold it up if you will, if you don't mind. Amen. Praise the Lord. Light the candle and then pray. There's nothing magical about this candle. There's no power in this candle to do anything. But what this candle can remind us of is to have faith in God and trust that he answers prayer. So this is our gift to you. You, keep, you get to keep the candle. But when you're going through something in life and you need to pray, this is not the now I lay me down to sleep prayer. This is a prayer when there's something really important that you want to pray about. You don't leave it on all the time. What you do is you light the candle and then you pray. And I just believe that God will do a mighty work in our lives when we light the candle and when we pray. God bless you.